You're listening to the Tech Talk Show. Hi, I'm Sue Nelson and we're on the Tech Talk Show and I'm joined by my lovely, lovely, lovely co-presenter, Sarah Luxford. Hello, Sarah. Pretty in pink today. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sue. It's a pleasure to be here. Pretty in pink. And um, you've got your lunch, well, you purport that is your lunch in front of you, which doesn't look enough to me. So it's, what is it? It's a, it's a really lovely lemon and ginger juice. Juice. Very healthy, well, very healthy. Big Trying fat to... coffee in front of me, which is obviously not very healthy, but anyway. <laughs> um, we're joined by Owen, Owen Hunnam. Have I got that surname right? That's right. Hunnam. And he's the co-founder and CEO of Idea Drop. And I want to talk to you, Owen, about innovation. Fantastic. It's a topic I love. <laughs> I so, uh, yeah, you've got me on a good topic there. Okay, that's good. So you've set up Idea Drop, um, which is a way, which is a sort of process, really, of capturing ideas. That's right, yeah. So there'd be loads of people, I'm sure Sarah's done this as well, uh, you, you know, have a brainstorming session, what everybody calls it now, whatever it is, um, and you come up with these amazing ideas and then I presume a lot of them either get forgotten or don't get actioned or, or everybody gets very inspired and then they're all back at the day job the next day and it's all slightly forgotten um, and not really captured and actioned. That, that, is, that's right, it, yeah, definitely. And, and worse still, often uh, ideas that are never caught at all. So... We talk a lot about the problem of the hippo, so the highest paid person's opinion. So innovation in most organisations in our experience typically happens from the top down. So those yeah, are the you, highest you say highest that. Paid. So when I, when I used to, because I, I work, I'm a designer, so I used to work in creative agencies um, in London all the time. And uh, so, so I'd be like, I'd be 24 thrusting, you know, amazing designer. Well, just a designer, but anyway, not the amazing. Um, and uh, I'd be dying to put my you know my ideas forward and of course you're the youngest one so you don't and then you start getting older and you think surely someone's going to anyway suddenly about five years ago people start leaning towards you and asking your advice and and i realized i was a hippo <laughs> and then suddenly <laughs> suddenly they start listening to you because you're the highest whatever it is that's right paid person in the room um or you're you know you're the you, you know in terms of status you're, you know high status person in the room and i was thinking oh, i've taken this long and now mm. now after all these years everybody looks at you when you haven't got any ideas left yeah <laughs> <laughs> well hippo sue um i how about also i'm just interested to understand a bit more about this because um i'm coming from it from a slightly different direction there um from personality types from extrovert versus introverts introverts find it very difficult sometimes to be able to voice so is it a fact that therefore this allows them for their voice to be heard definitely and i think it can be really intimidating to have the courage to share an idea um, there's that fear of immediate judgment not necessarily based on uh, your idea but actually that's come from me and I'm actually a little bit lower in the ranks than, than the people in the room potentially so there are a whole range of challenges and problems that come with the sharing of ideas and we try to break that down and make it more open and uh, transparent and collaborative through using technology so it's interesting you talk there about uh, uh, about being scared to share ideas so one of the most popular features on our platform is called cloaking so 
we make it easy for people to hide their identity when they share ideas. They can be very candid and truthful about actually ways that things can be improved or, or, or new initiatives that can be shared. If those ideas then get traction and engagement with the community internally, they can then hit an uncloak button and go, hey, actually, that was hey, me was that me. had that idea. <laughs> so that's quite, quite yeah. sticky, quite yeah. addictive, we find. So, so are you saying then that this isn't necessarily a face-to-face thing? It, it's, it's a platform that, that people can use to collaborate or almost like a suggestion box, uh, in a way? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the thing with Idea Drop is there's a whole range of different use cases. One of them is uh, digitalising the process of, of brainstorms, so having technology in place to uh, make that process, capturing them, there and then very easy but the, the, I suppose the more prevalent use cases like you described to where you've got people in uh, disjointed workforces or, or, or in different places um, they don't necessarily have access to a desktop computer so through using different devices across mobile web uh, and, uh, and and iOS we make it really simple for everyone within an organization to collaborate and participate in, in the innovation process and what sort of so what sort of projects are people working on where they're, they're finding this useful is, so, it, is it sort of new product development or is it is it is it just how can we do things better yeah sure so again that that varies quite dramatically depending on the vertical the industry the, the, the group so one that springs to mind is kent police so we rolled out across the entire organization um about 18 months ago and you know policing in the uk particularly first it's a very rank-based structure so uh, talking about the issues we, we mentioned very a moment hierarchical ago, isn't it, it? it yeah. is indeed so mm-hmm. uh, and also there's a lot of legacy technology a lot of the tools that were built for policing were built in sometimes uh, 90s and even 80s they've kind of been patched on top of each other so oh there's God. a lot of technical That's debt right, so no wonder the <laughs> statistics aren't brilliant although there is i should say huge uh, you know transitional change and transformation in, in uk policing but so this idea of using technology to make that process easier um, is actually something that frontline officers engage with very well indeed and, and we're uh, in the process of uh, working with the Met Police as well at the moment and we're seeing similar levels of high engagement because there aren't tools and technology in place to make innovation and, and, and idea capture easy within within those types of organisations. And what sort of things would the police be capturing then? Would it, might it be something like, you know, we've spotted something when we're arresting people or we're out in the community and we think we could do this better and, and making a suggestion like that? Yeah, sure. So again, it varies. So IdeaDrop facilitates what we call uh, bottom-up and top-down innovation. So um, through our technology, you can share uh, challenges. So it helps you digitalise the process of framing kind of operational or strategic problems that that the the police force is facing uh, right up at a chief constable level, cascade those down and then gather ideas, insight, fresh perspective against those particular problems. Um, So that's what we would call kind of the the top-down innovation. But reversing that, it's really good for gathering um, what we call off-piste ideas. So you're an Mm. officer on the front line and you just know that the process or, or the way that you've been defined to do something could be quite dramatically improved so we often see uh, capturing of uh, business as usual ideas so very quick wins that can be very quickly implemented right through to participating in much more strategic change initiatives that are happening on a bigger scale across the force so it really plays out in a whole range of different ways um, from very small quick wins right through to bigger innovation initiatives how do you get um, individuals to actually utilise the platform? Is that the responsibility of the platform or is that the responsibility of the client to, to push that through? Because yeah, actually that could be the difference between success and failure, mm. couldn't it? It could be an amazing system, but actually if people yeah. are scared to use it or don't want to use it, then mm. it's, it's not going to be much use, is it? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we do that uh, in a number of that different uh, ways. Firstly, we partner with the client to 
really understand what their commercial drivers are so that we can okay. align our technology solution to helping them realize those, whether that be impact on PL or cost savings, efficiencies, part of a wider strategic objective. Um, and then we, we actually get quite involved um, on planning things like the internal comms plans that actually make the awareness of that and uh, the new initiative um, very prevalent. Um, we have uh, sponsors and we try and engage kind of champions across a, a network within the organization. Um, but then on a technology level, we work very closely with our product and engineering team to, to make the product as sticky and as engaging as possible. So we take some of the best tools and features from the social web, bake them right into the heart of our innovation management platform um, so that when it rolls out, it's A, very quick and easy to use, very intuitive. We see low training costs. Um, but actually it's quite fun to use because it's more aligned to the consumer web uh, and how people are collaborating and communicating so outside of work. So it doesn't feel too business -y. Exactly. And yeah. the feedback we get from our users is people like the fact that it's much more aligned to the consumer experience they expect from the likes of WhatsApp and, and other social yeah. tools. So that makes it a bit more intuitive to use mm. as well. Exactly. Yeah. And then we have... Um, uh, we also gamify the platform, so we have uh, out-of-the-box uh, innovation point system. So every user is given an innovation score in real time, uh, which is a measure of their contribution mm. to the innovation program. We can pull out leaderboards and gamify it with prizes, rewards, and that type of thing. So it's mm -hmm. a multifaceted approach, really, to how we how we make it sticky and and and, mm. and keep the retention. I mean, I think as as companies grow, so my company, you know, there was like four or five of us when we started. That was great because we like I knew what mm. everything was going on. Well, then it's starting to get bigger and bigger. We've now got twenty people. I know everybody's first name, but I don't know what their surnames are now. I got to that <laughs> not to that stage. I forgot. Um, but I'm acutely aware that, that as we're growing, I, I can't see everything anymore. I, I can't. And, and I know that people who are dealing with clients day in, day out, you know, or, or you know, work on the radio show with us and all, all that sort of thing, are spotting stuff that we could do better. So how, you know, how can you draw that out of somebody? Because I'm, I'm very, very open to any sort of criticism, frankly, because, because I don't want to miss anything. And I think businesses... If they grow and you're the CEO and you're not getting that feedback, you will fail. You'll have a catastrophic failure yeah. event, won't you? Don't you think, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. I think the communication because, piece is, is absolutely Because you lose critical. touch. Yeah. There's, there's something, I think um, uh, one of the vice presidents of diversity and inclusion for Netflix said something around the fact that it becomes a lot harder to engage a workforce. I think it was uh, the um, standing on the chair moment. So if companies become bigger than 150 employees and you're a CEO and you stand on the chair and, and they can't hear you, you know that you've got an issue. So um, you know, to be able to uh, communicate and ensure that there's the engagement around not only new technology, but essentially this, is, this isn't this is just about technology. This is about taking a company into a new sphere mm. through the power of ideas of the employees and engaging them. And See, the thing with us important. is when we were smaller, we were just like, oh, no, let's try that, we'll give that a go. Mm. And then if it didn't work, we just, we'd just shut it down and then you know we'd fail quick and then move on to something else. I'm really worried that we're going to lose that. Um, and I think w what you're saying is that this type of process allows that to happen right across the board. It does, definitely. And you, you raise a good point there, Sue, which is it's got to come from the top. So innovation initiatives, in our experience, fail when they don't have top-level sponsorship from the outset. So right. we won't do an engagement unless we have usually board-level uh, buy-in to this because there's a cultural change piece that sits alongside all of this as well. So unless you have that, you can have the best technology possible, but 
actually without that that senior sponsorship it they need to be aligned um so that's really important as well and and the second part is closing the feedback loop so if you gather lots of ideas but actually you don't feedback and there's no process or workflow um to those ideas and and those ideas aren't seen to flow through that workflow and it's demoralizing it's really demoralizing and actually that can be worse than yeah than not having anything at all so Mm. we do a lot of work around uh structuring and making sure that process is in place prior to the technology being Mm. rolled out so I, I've been talking to um, somebody, I won't mention the name of the company because this will get me into trouble, but, but they're, a, they're a sort of innovation officer uh, in a very, very big multinational. And they were saying they have to come up with 100 ideas a week, which I think is stupid, actually, if I may say. Um, uh, but I don't, think, I don't think those large companies can innovate in the way that they're doing it because, because they'll only put money behind what they think is a dead cert because it costs them so much money to, to, to you know, produce it en masse, do all the marketing. I mean, we're talking of millions of pounds. So they're going to place a bet, effectively, of a couple of million pounds, mm. let alone the reputational risk if it goes pear-shaped because everybody will be going, oh, you know, you're a household <laughs> name and you've, you've gone wrong there. So, so the whole thing for them is fraught with risk, which means that in the end, I don't think they can disrupt and I don't think they can innovate because in a way, there's almost too much at stake. Definitely, and it's interesting there that they're focusing on ideation metrics, which is actually one of the uh, the weaker and less effective metrics to track. So it doesn't really matter how many ideas you're capturing. What matters far more is the cost-benefit analysis that's taking place around those ideas, how that curation is happening, and then ultimately tracking the, the, the ROI or the measurable, meaningful impact of those ideas and how that's changed the business. So whether you're having a 1,000 or 100 ideas or 10, what matters matter, is the it? impact, yeah. not the volume of mm. ideas. Mm. So they're kind of focusing it on the on the wrong metrics there, in my view. And and you've got a, an agency back, creative agency background like me, haven't you? So before you were you, you were actually at Yellow Ball. Is it something you founded yourself? Yeah. So my co-founder Charlie and I, uh, prior to Idea Drop, founded a, a full service digital agency called Yellow Ball. And it was really as we were scaling that that uh, we we had a similar situation to you. We grew kind of beyond twenty or so people, and we wanted to create this entrepreneurial culture whereby people had a a voice and were listened to and actually had a, a say in how the business moved forward. Actually, that's very easy to say at a strategic level, <laughs> but to, to make a reality is, is a little bit harder. So we had joined up our internal technology um, prior to this. So everything was in the cloud wherever possible. So when we had this problem of wanting to capture ideas, we naturally looked for an off-the-shelf solution. Um, and what we found in the global technology vendors within this space were that A, there were very few of them. Uh, secondly, they were primarily based in the States. And thirdly, and quite remarkably, they hadn't innovated much themselves. So most of the technology was actually quite tired, very clunky UI, UX, complex pricing structures and so on. So we had an engineering team at the time. We decided to uh, build a quick prototype ourselves internally, rolled it out amongst our own team, and then very quickly realized that actually we were able to Im- uh, implement a couple of ideas that had a positive impact on our own PL. And then we realized, hold on, this is really quite exciting. We're harnessing the power of the people around us to positively impact our business. Here's a problem that doesn't just exist to, to us. It transcends organizational size, sector, location. And that was in 2014 when we decided to spin it out as a, as a separate technology company. And, um, and we went from there, really. And what actually is a creative idea? <laughs> As a See, really I'm, good I'm a creative, which basically means I can't be managed. I think that's what that means, doesn't it? <laughs> You're a creative person. Um, but actually, what is a creative idea? Do you know, does it have a definition? Is, is it just about disruption or is it, is it about, well, what is it? Exactly? Uh, so a number of our clients define creative.
creative ideas in, in lots of different ways. It can be just the ability to think in a way that is outside the normal processes that exist or the, the, the normal procedures that are in place. Something that uh, takes a, a new view or a new perspective on, on something that already exists and, uh, and looks at it from a new angle. That, that's what a number of our clients define as creative. Um, others, others are far more open in terms of how they look at what creativity means. So I think it's, it's quite uh, ambiguous in some ways, that, that definition. And in terms of big businesses, Sarah, the, 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 um, what used to happen in big businesses is it was about structure, it was about hierarchy, it was about chains of command, it was mm-hmm. about communication you know, in that particular way, and that's how things used to work, and mm-hmm. that's how things used to succeed. Mm-hmm. Now, those, those big companies that were structured like that can't actually work like that anymore, can they? So, so, so how are they managing to overcome that change in terms of the people they're recruiting? Because there's got to be a cultural clash there somehow. You know, the old guard versus the new way of doing business. I think there is. I, I think it's um, the way that technology has advanced over the years. Uh, there's different skills, there's different impacts um, on talent as a whole. What we're seeing at the moment in the market is certainly that the larger corporates are really struggling to find the good, fresh talent to come into companies because the, the the new generation are asking for so many different things. It's no longer about the 10 year, the, the 10, 25 years in one company and climbing up the ladder. It's more about actually what's the benefit to me? What, what's the impact that I'm making in this world? So what, what are the what benefits? What can you do that, for me? Is that, exactly. That really? Yeah, it's turning it the other way um, and they're looking for much more flexibility, much more flexibility. Um, individuals now, it's not just about work it's also about how can I give back to my community um, what am I going to do in terms of providing for my family uh, it's a, a different mindset that we're seeing in terms of the the new talent coming through and I think being able to engage and um, further increase employee engagement through the capture of ideas which we're talking about here is phenomenal I think it's really exciting my query would be um, how um, the larger companies really do accept and implement this because I think it's one of those things where um, unless they've got as as I'm saying unless you've got the board and the CEO type the C-level buy-in and they recognise this as a change management process. It will be interesting to see how things actually kick off. Mm-hmm. How are you finding it, Aaron? Are you, are you finding what, what's been the response from, say, the, the larger corporate versus the SMBs of mm-hmm. the world? Sure. So, I mean, it is something that we, we take very seriously in terms of how we track because we want to know what value we're delivering uh, as a result of the implementation of our technology. Um, So we partner with clients throughout an engagement of a license period, whether that be 24 or 36 months, um, to actually measure what's been delivered off the back of the the technology. So that's Mm. the first thing, because when you measure it, you can iterate it and improve it. Again, how they measure the success of a platform varies depending on their initiatives and their objectives. Um, but you have to have all the key ingredients in place to support the innovation program, mm. some of which we've discussed already. And when you kind of have all of those in place, um, you can very quickly deliver um, a very healthy ROI on, on, the, on the cost of the technology and the cost of supporting it internally. And actually, if you don't innovate at the moment, you are going to die. I mean, it's, it's quite clear, isn't it? And I've um, been over to speak to Just Eat, um, who, who did disrupt the market. I mean, and very, very much so. Mm. I've now grown into a massive multi, multi, multi million pound business. Mm. Know that they have to disrupt again and are really struggling. 
because because they've got so big, um, and so they're, they're looking at all sorts of different ways to innovate, which 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 they know they have to do. Yeah. Because if they just stay like they are, they they're, they're going to get they're going to get taken over by somebody else, aren't they? You know, in the market. Yeah, definitely. And what and it's interesting. I what I'm seeing in the market at the moment is certainly there's a hesitancy from the corporates at the moment due to the dreaded B word, um, and and equally on the other side, SMBs are struggling because. They can't, of the uncertainty of the future, um, trying to get access to the talent to bring on board, and also, you know, what does that look like? What, what's going to happen with the business rates? Um, there are so many different elements. So people are frightened of, of committing, uh, uh, you know, cost. Are you saying? That? Yes, I think I think cost is a is a big part, but I think the ones that will succeed are the ones who will invest in areas like this mm. um innovation is absolutely critical um and i think you know i would argue back in the kind of 1998 etc even though we were going through crisis it was probably one of the most innovative times that we had um mm. so whilst we have a, a cloud coming and uncertainty coming i think actually it's also an opportunity certainly for the tech industry here in london to um, put their arms around innovation and you know show the world who's boss mm. I, I think uh, it's, it's interesting you know in times of uncertainty it's very easy to protect a revenue stream and really in our experience the companies that fail to innovate are the ones that just focus purely on on that revenue so you know unless that new initiative or that idea is going to make tangible impact on revenue for instance i.e. drive it up and do that guaranteed in a very quick period of time, then a company that is failing to innovate will not necessarily take those ideas or those new initiatives seriously. And actually that's where growth stifles and you just, if you always do what you've always done, then the saying goes, you'll always get what you've always got. And and I think that that does happen certainly in the organisations that are less open to change. there is also a change and a, and a movement towards more collaboration with startups. So, um, you know, there's innovation consultancies like 100% Open, for instance, that claim to kind of link the the suits with the sneakers and actually this concept of startup like and uh, collaboration, which is really interesting. And you're <laughs> seeing a lot more kind of um, initiatives with large organisations where they're actively engaging the startup community to mm. drive that mm. innovation through kind of open innovation and bring mm. new ideas and new insight um, from further afield. So it's happening, it's exciting, but we're still seeing, I think we're still in the early days of it. Yeah, well, whilst the innovation might be coming from the sneaker section, um, the, the thing is they, they sometimes lack the experience and actually can't make a company work because it's tough making a company work, trust me. Um, and uh, you do need the combination of the two. You know, people who understand how to, to, to make a business and understand, you know, you do have to get your costs under control. You do have to have, you know, cash flow. You've, you've got to have systems in, in place. But you've got to have the innovation at the same time. And I do think if we can meet those, make those two meet, that's when you get a huge success, isn't it? I think so, but I, I, it's really interesting to see a lot of the larger corporates set up innovation hubs or in, innovation labs. In, um, internally? Internally, right. whereas um, I think also um, there should be very much, you know, consideration given to the external innovation labs that can support businesses with their issues because it's going to be different thinking that they're going to be able to provide. I mean, we only have to look at the likes of Plexel um, over at the Queen Elizabeth Park and even tomorrow down in Croydon. Um, all of these are providing fantastic innovation hubs, which many different corporates are now utilising and seeing the benefits yeah. of this uh, diverse talent. Because, because arguably, mm. as soon as you get 
a hub internally, you'll get sucked into the culture. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Whether you want to or not, even if you change the wallpaper or you've got a different area, it looks differently. You know, Eventually, you'll get sucked into the culture. There's always there's always going to be constraints. There will always be constraints. So as much as you could say, right, we're going to set up a lab, it's going to be in a different office. Um, it's going to be, you know, so, so we're physically separate. There's always going to be the purse strings that's behind that. There's always yeah. going to be the corporate settings, the the, the legality. You've also the got structure. that difficult thing where, where, where mm. people are saying, look, they're allowed to wander in at 10 o'clock in the morning and go home at 7 o'clock, but we have to clock in at nine and go at five and like that so that's not fair over there so how does that work and you can just imagine it causes a whole number of problems doesn't it operational problems yeah i, I think it does but uh, i mean like hey, hey um i'm sure there are fantastic labs that have been set up and mm. that work very very well i know westfield labs for example are doing phenomenal things um in terms of retail and and technology um but we were talking there also about the innovation of companies as a whole and and one of the things um owen that i'd noticed was that you've you've also yourself been through scale-up programs. Um, I noticed you did PwC and SwiftScale. Um, so I was just wondering from your perspective what that experience was like being on the other side yeah. uh, of, the, of the coin. Yes, that's really interesting. So, so PwC, they run an initiative, a, a range of scale initiatives um, that are about kind of linking uh, what they call scale-up. So startups that have got kind of a product market fit, they've got enterprise clients, they're a little bit further ahead, they've got funding and so on. Um, and linking those scale-ups with um, internal stakeholders within PwC, but also the wider client base. So the key premise there is it's an accelerated 12-week program that is designed to bring you in front of decision makers much quicker than you would be able to, to do otherwise. Because one of the problems as a small organization like us is we have technology that can assist big, big huge enterprises, but actually navigating uh, that, uh, that sales process can be quite daunting, complex, time-consuming. So actually being able to jump to the right person immediately is we found to be hugely successful. Um, they also opened up a whole range of investor connections and really gave us an opportunity to refine our proposition and, and how we present our, our, our product as well. So we found it hugely valuable, but there's lots of initiatives that, that, that are going on across London and further afield from those big organisations where they're realising the need and the power and the excitement of linking and, and integrating more directly with uh, the tech community uh, in London. And would you advise anybody who's on a sort of scaling up or startup to go through some of these programmes? Do, do you think it is worth it? Definitely. I think that there are, you have to be a little bit careful. There are, uh, there's been a bit of an explosion in the number of them in recent years in, in London, certainly. Um, so they're not all as valuable as, uh, as perhaps some of them. So you have to be a little bit careful. Um, and if you're not cautious, they can consume your time dramatically in that in that yeah. period as well so as long as you get your time and resources correct and actually you almost do your own due diligence on on the program before you agree yeah. to join it um it can be hugely valuable yeah and the best due diligence for me is find somebody who's been on it and just ring them up and just ask for two minutes on the phone and, and people are very helpful like that and they don't mind doing that but you know speak to a couple of people who've been on it already that's the best that's the best way of doing it isn't it <laughs> yeah we did that it was really valuable yeah good so if anybody's interested in idea drop they need to go to ideadrop.co that's that right. right yeah excellent and you can chat live with us uh 
tweet us, ping us an email, and we'll come back to you. I think our response time is uh, less than 13 minutes for all our interactions globally across the last eight weeks. That's so pretty impressive. We're keen to come back to you as quickly as we can. Yeah. And um, in terms of if, if it is something that you th- feel is right for your company, um, your sort of pricing model is, is, is per user per month, isn't it? Like, like most sort of yeah, software. Yes, so it's a standard SaaS model uh, that takes us up to 250 users. So if you've got yeah. more than 250 users, um, it's a, the, the pricing uh, is based on a, a range of different factors and I just urge people that are interested to connect with us and we can uh, have a conversation and people can try it for 30 days for free which is very very good but it it can be as little as uh, sort of like seven pounds a month per user so it's not not massive Uh, and it comes down quite considerably for our enterprise deployments Mm. well good luck with it um Mm. certainly capturing innovation i think is critical isn't it sarah absolutely absolutely. really really excited i think i'm gonna go and look at this time when i get back yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so thanks very much that's owen hunnam thank you very much idea drop Uh, go on to the go and google it if you if you're interested certainly something you should have in your in your organization so we're going to take a little break now and um we've got some great pre-records coming up and these were all done by our lovely presenter steve um he was at unbound and first of all he's talking to render media mark miles the fascinating sort of uh, arena of uh, VR and AR. See what he's got to say. We've then got Kyo Lab. Uh, uh, that's Jean Michel Gorecki. I think I've, I think I've pronounced that right. And then Kinocho, which is all about 3D sound tech with Gary Haywood. Let's see what they've got to say. Hi there. I'm Sue Nelson from the Tech Talk Show, and I'm with um, Dan. Hello, Dan. Hi Sue, how are you this morning? Uh, yeah, good. We're at uh, Tech Accelerate, which is part of London Tech Week. We've been to quite a few events at London Tech Week and it's, it's amazing. Uh, loads and loads and loads of events and this is just one of them. And here at Tech Accelerate, there's Apps World, there's Robotics, there's Artificial, artificial Intelligence, which I can't, obviously can't say, <laughs> and loads <laughs> of other things. So, so we're excited to have a look at all this, aren't we? Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Really um, looking forward to some of the interviews we've got um, coming up and um, speaking to some really interesting new companies. Yeah. And uh, sitting opposite us is uh, Mark Miles, and he's from Render Media. And we're going to find, about, find out... I'm really struggling with my words today. Uh, we're going to find out all about his company and uh, what he's doing. Hi, hi, Mark. How are you? Hi, good morning. How's it going? Good, 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 good. So, so uh, you do immersive content for global brands. What on earth does that mean? It does sound a little bit of um, uh, a concoction, really. Um, what we do is we work with brands to kind of understand how we can best get their story out there um, and kind of like distill some of the messages that they want to kind of communicate to their audience. Um, what we find is um, working with brands, um, there's a lot of content that we create traditionally on social media platforms such as um, film, traditionally. And, um, and one of the challenges that brands face is that there are sometimes multiple messages to be contained um, within a film. Um, so we, our background uh, as a business is in 3D CG animation. And over the years, we've brought up um, uh, a client base um, of brands in a range of different industries. But the, the, the similar theme with all the content we create is predominantly film. And um, over the last couple of years, the, the emergence of uh, real-time technology has kind of come to a price point um, through the release of engines such as uh, Unity and Unreal um, and the dev kits, uh, the early dev kits for, like from Mateo um, and um, HTC Vive and Oculus means that we engage with brands today um, to help them create content that allows them to communicate multiple messages um, on a range of different, unique 
uh, platforms from apps to AR to VR. So um, with a, if a company was approaching you now um, to try and sort of like, you know, engage your services, what sort of, um, how would you approach um, creating a campaign for them? Uh, the, the first thing we would do is to look at um, initially what the message is. What is it that they want to try and get across? Um, and the second thing we would do is uh, we'd identify um, what assets that they have as a, as a business um, and then see, because we work in 3D predominantly, um, a lot of clients we work with use CAD data. Um, so it's a case of like looking at um, what assets does a company hold, where else is it being used across the business, and they may not have considered using it in a way that we would um, in kind of like in, in kind of like starting that conversation. And it does a couple of things: it educates the customer as to the value of the assets that they hold uh, as a business, uh, and secondly, it identifies an entry point into real-time technology such as VR and AR that they probably thought was a little bit too unattainable. Um, it's a bit like being on a lily pad and you need to make a jump to another one, but how big is that jump? Is it achievable? Um, is, it, uh, is it something that's like in the future? And it's kind of like really educating industry to say actually what you want to achieve is a lot more realistic and it's a lot more closer to being visualized than you think it is. So, um, so give me an example. So I, I'm running a company and I've got a, maybe quite a, a difficult product to explain. Definitely can't do it on one page advert in a magazine. I'm used to having that sort of company video, talking heads, very boring. Um, and you're talking about augmented reality, virtual reality and all that sort of stuff. So how can you, how can you help me make that leap? So give me, give me an example. Well, our customer base is more in manufacturing and engineering, so we bring to life products, processes and services. Um, so we bring to life um, uh, content or messaging that is unachievable because uh, it doesn't exist, um, the product, or through to logistics, such as um, aeroplanes. How do you sell, um, how do you sell an aeroplane? Um, okay, yeah. so I'm, I'm very interested in that. So I own an aeroplane, <laughs> and I've just built it. I'm really proud of it. Uh, and then I think, right, I, I want to sell it. Now, now again, you, you can't just do an advert somewhere, can you? It doesn't work. Um, and you, you, you need to approach buyers. So how would you take my aeroplane and, 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 and make my messaging incredible? Well, putting but, you on the spot here, Mark. Putting you right on the spot. Well, to be honest, there's a couple of ways you could do it. Um, I'd say... Uh, initially, I would see if there is a, a 3D model of your plane that would exist in the marketplace, such as TurboSquid. Um, and if it does, then we would look to create a, a VR experience in 3D that allows you to actually move about inside the plane. Or that we could go down the film route through Samsung Gear VR and, um, and then actually film inside your plane um, and then allow people to move around. But there's, there's a clear difference between the two technologies. Um, the Samsung Gear VR, although photorealistic in its approach, what it means is it puts the user inside a sphere, um, and inside that sphere you're just seeing a stitched 360 panoramic, so you can't really move forward or move backwards. Um, but the technology out there like the Vive or um, Oculus does allow you to actually pivot, rotate, and um, you know step forward, step backwards to actually get a sense of the space. So if you wanted to walk through the aircraft, um, you could do that through um, the Vive technology through 3D um, or if you wanted to just actually get a sensation of um, flying then the Samsung Gear VR would actually be like a good route. And, and your skills with your team really are, are working out for the, so the client doesn't have to come to you and say I definitely want this technology and that technology, they need to come to you with their problem don't they and say I've got this amazing aeroplane, how do I, how do I get people to experience it because they're not going to rock up to my hangar 
whatever it is, key aeroplanes, um, and look around it, they, they need an experience, and you will then guide them through what technologies might help them do that. Massively. It's, um, it's an evolution of the content. Um, so there's a client that we've engaged with in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, and they've literally changed their marketing material from print-based PDF to a lot more digital marketing. And it started where they would go to meetings and engage with customers and literally produce a brochure for everything that the, the customer wanted to cover off. Do people still do that then? People still produce brochures, do they? Surely not. They do, and um, and it and it's um, and it's still really kind of surprising because um, I've got this little analogy called caveman analogy, um, and uh, and I, this kind of like is a little story that kind of stems back from 15 years of um, you know running the business. When we first started out using CGI to um, communicate messaging for customers, we come up a bit of a brick wall, which was you know we work in PDF, we work in print based. And so trying to uh, visualize the benefits of CGI was sometimes quite a challenge. And so can you imagine this? If you had a caveman um, back in the day and, um, and they were going to market to sell project products in their cart, well, it, it, the cart's got square wheels, so it's taken them longer to get to market and sell their goods. If he turned up with a chisel and a hammer and just like made those square wheels more rounded, then he could go to market and sell goods a lot more quicker than, um, and make a lot more money. So to him, that's good. That's a definition of good. So if I was to come along with a car, um, he wouldn't quite know what to make of that because the job suffices and gets the, you know, just to have a car with round wheels does a good enough job. So if you can imagine turning up with a Ferrari, he just couldn't get it. He just can't make that leap. So what we saw at the show last year, which was quite interesting, was a lot of haptic technology and a lot of third-party hardware. Um, but with a lot of our clients, they're just, you know, they're, um, I'm not going to use the word thrill to bits, but it's an education um, in itself just to get them to start using more immersive technology. And the route typically would be that someone would come to us with, um, say, print-based marketing. We would make an app that creates like a, a, like a uh, puts all their messaging within a single application. That would be in real time. And then once you've got those assets in real time, we can take that to AR and then take it to VR. And that's what we have done. So you can elevate content, but create three completely different uh, uh, user experiences on quite immersive platforms but film is always film film can run on YouTube on a laptop on an iPad on a TV screen it's still 2d and what you want to try and do is punch through that screen and actually experience so you're not just you're not just looking at it you're not just reading it you're not just hearing it you can experience it you're in it exactly you're taking people there without being there well so Mark um, that's absolutely fantastic where can people find out more about um, render media Yes. Uh, oh, he doesn't know. That, <laughs> he's in marketing, Dan, and he, he's forgotten his own. Have you got a brochure with you, Mark? I can't, I can't remember what, um, we're actually at. Uh, website would be good, Mark. We Have are at uh, uh, TX905, uh, I believe, at the stand, uh, Render Media. But the, um, yeah, the website is uh, rendermedia.co.uk. And, and, and just, uh, just to end here, what, what, if, if a. What sort of budget would a client need to come to you? You know, what's the sort of entry mark? You know, because a brochure is going to cost you a good few thousand pounds if you if you do it properly. Let's face it. You know, and a website build is if you're going to do it properly is is quite a chunk of money as well. Uh, what sort of budget would somebody have to have just as an entry level to come and talk to a person like yourself? I don't want to sound like a politician by not answering a question, but it well, really does. It it really does depend on. You um, five hundred quid though, don't you? Oh yeah, you're, you're <laughs> just just a bit. Yeah. Um, the thing is, the way 
what we're doing is we're educating industry uh, to really look at revisit how they approach their messaging. Um, so it could be that the entry point for an in, for uh, a company could be marketing because it's very you know customer faced um, material and content. But um, what you've got to look at is the same content used for marketing could quite easily be used across the business. So whichever business uh, or whichever area of the business makes that investment, um, it can be used. You'll see the ROI across the business. Um, and, and that addresses some of the challenges with more global organizations that work in silos to each other. Um, and so the messaging can be quite different. A lot of people out there that come from 3D background will understand the analogy that you know you work with big brands you know especially like mobile telephone communication and um, I can remember back in the day getting asked to you know create 3D models of mobile phone handsets and you'd sit there with a brief thinking surely somewhere this CAD file exists but there's a lot of reinventing the wheel that goes on and what we're trying to do is address that redundancy um, in digital assets. And, and, and like anything, marketing has to, as it said, as you said, ROI. It's got to have a return on investment. Otherwise, you literally are wasting your money, aren't you? So whatever it is, you know, you've got to get a return. Thank you very much for joining us, don't you think, Dan? That was good. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Mark. I'm joined by Yang Michael from Kyo Lab. Hi, Yang. Hey, how are you doing? I'm really good. Um, obviously, it's been a great show. Uh, busier on the first day than the second day? Yeah, um, the second day has been uh, very good. I mean, both days have been very busy. Um, we're fairly fairly tired, but uh, it's been a great experience. Yeah. And uh, have you been to Unbound, an Unbound event before? No, it's our first year at Unbound. Um, the company is about a year old now, so um, but we're probably going to be back next year. Well, that's really great to hear. So obviously successful. Um, so uh, Keo Lab, tell us a little bit about what it does. So it's a, it's a one-year-old direct tech startup uh, based in London, UK. And uh, what we do is we, uh, make, uh, we help uh, relationship managers of uh, institutions communicate with their client on uh, popular mobile messaging apps like WhatsApp or WeChat in a compliant way, meaning we monitor and record the conversations uh, for the external order trail for the Financial Conduct Authority, FINRA in the US and so forth, uh, or uh, just for an internal uh, corporate governance for dispute resolution. So, um, I mean, we, 10 years ago, we had hundreds of call centers, and every time you called, I had to contact somebody, whether it's a bank or whoever, you'd have a recorded conversation with their call center. This is no different, really. This is essentially the same thing. So any company that uh, monitors uh, phone calls uh, for compliance or governance and would like to use uh, mobile messaging with a client, uh, they can they can come to us and we could we could help them out. Uh, I'm a, I'm a former banker and uh, trader, and we were not allowed to use WhatsApp anymore because essentially the bank had no means of uh, tracking the conversations, and uh, we make that happen. And, and I suppose it's also helping the banks open up different uh, ways for people to communicate with them. Yeah, essentially the the messaging platforms, uh, the professional trading platforms, and all the apps that the bank has bank have are, are there to stay but we just add to that ecosystem by helping them connect with uh, a younger clientele on, on social media that they um, currently have a hard time getting to. Because I have to admit, uh, you know, wh whether it's financial services, insurance or whatever else, you're pretty limited to the way, you know, I wanna, my credit card's nearly snapped and I want to get one. I don't want to spend 10 minutes on the phone with a call center. I want to either text them, WhatsApp them or something. Just say, yeah, could you send me a new card? That's right. Um, essentially, um, this way the bank would have a record in place and uh, 
um, will have a legal means uh, to, to be compliant and therefore could accept your, your message uh, verifying you and accept your message that you just need a new card and you, you just send a message, maybe send a picture of the, the snap card and they just process it and uh, you get the new card without having to do anything else. So I assume what you do is uh, you've got some smart software there that converts the written word or into a standard format, what happens? Uh, yeah, essentially it's, it's the data capture first, but then uh, making sense of the data on behalf of the bank. So for compliance is uh, the, the one thing, but also uh, helping the, the bank more communicate more effectively with their client and understanding the client better. So that's, that's what we do. And, and do you trawl the particular, whether it's a WhatsApp message or anything else, are you trawling that for standard information to look at any trends or anything else? Um, we do it basically on behalf of the bank. So if, 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 the, if our client would like us to um, uh, analyze the data that in that fashion, we will do that. We op we, it's an op optional service. And uh, it's, it's not just uh, the banks that we're looking at. It could be uh, pretty much any company. So we have had a relationship with uh, healthcare, uh, with um, logistics, automotive. Um, so this media actually itself. Um, it's 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 a, so it's a very broad market that you're focusing on. We're trying to we're trying to narrow because we're a small company, uh, but essentially it's it's a problem that uh, is across industries and uh, it's a global thing. Yeah, I can see that, and I, I suppose you know it, it, this is the problem with a lot of startups as well, isn't it? You you focus a bit too broadly, and it can be really difficult to to maintain and, and manage that. That's that's right. I mean. Uh, we went through a couple of accelerators with a startup bootcamp fintech in London and also a Citigroup accelerators. And um, while we have um, very broad ambition, uh, we have been told multiple times to keep it uh, focused and uh, narrow it down as long as we are a small company, which is very sensible. And uh, that's why we are focusing um, primarily on the financial services sector right now. But we have, uh, we have a vision going beyond that in due, in due course. Oh, I think that's fantastic, and um, obviously you, you haven't been going too long. So yeah, I mean, on the show, we have lots of uh, startup companies listening or come on the show. What do you think is the the most important thing you've learned over the last year or two in establishing your company? Um, be resilient. Uh, don't give up easily. Listen to the feedback that you receive, but be very mindful of whether you implement that feedback or not. Um, and be happy to network and just just enjoy the ride yeah i think that's uh, that's good advice that's really is good advice well thank you so much for joining us on the show i hope the rest of the show uh, the rest of the unbound events good for you uh, hopefully we'll see you here next year thank you very much it was, was my pleasure thank you cheers thanks We're still here at uh, Unbound, and uh, we've just popped next door to the stand there. Uh, it's sort of a, it's a very eye-catching. It's a, a 3D sort of hexagonal pyramid with, with, with speakers all in, all inside. And uh, I've got founder Gary Hayward from, from Kineco here um, to talk to us a bit about um, about what, what they're exhibiting and, and showing off here at the show. Um, so, Gary, how long have you uh, how long has Kineco been a project of yours for? All right, so Kineco has been going full time for uh, just over 18 months, um, but it had about three years of research prior to that, while Stefan Kazasaglu, the other founder, and myself were doing other work, getting ready for getting ready for the launch of this. But we knew wh where we were going as kind of a long development lead. But yeah, so five years in total, but about 18 months as a real business. Brilliant. And, and can you tell our listeners um, 
what we, what you've just sort of demonstrated to me in the last couple of minutes um, about the inside of, of, of your pod and um, yeah and, and what you guys do at Kineco. Yeah, sure. So we specialise in uh, 3D audio. So we're really interested in the idea that when we when we're listening in the real world, sound is all is coming to us from all directions, above and sides and all around us, and we wanted to be able to recreate that for especially for virtual reality, where, where we'd expect sound to be as natural as the real world, so what we call sonic reality. And our approach was to think, how would we best deliver that, uh, given, given that where technology was going? And we're particularly interested in two things. The current state of the art uses a virtual room model, which we don't think is a very good approach because it degrades the audio. And the second thing is that ultimately VR is moving to what's called volumetric modeling. And we wanted to have audio that worked in a volumetric way. So we set about to create a, a new approach to, to building 3D audio by simulating sound propagation so that it kind of matches what's going on in the real world. So that's what we've been doing. So we have an engine that builds that. That's what we're demonstrating today. And we're demonstrating that in our Cosmos pod, which is a dodecahedron <laughs> made up of a few more sides. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> made up of 12, um, 12 pentagons, and where the pentagons join, there are twenty points, and at each of those points there's a speaker, and so they're then uh, immersing you in sound, which you then kind of get an experience of when we move sound objects around in our engine, our sonic reality engine. What you're then experiencing the pod is that three D audio experience and we also then do that it comes out the same engine for headphone based 3d audio for vr so um what sort of applications uh, are primarily um used uh, by kineco so the so the application are that that, Kine, that our software is being put to yeah so the primary applications at the moment are uh, 360 movies uh Kind of having having a really good 3D soundscape to go with your 360 vision. Uh, we do a lot of artistic work, so we build really large-scale arrays for multi-user immersion. So that when you kind of step into uh, step into one of our experiences, you kind of feel like you're immersed in another another sound world. So, and we've done that go running from the beach to CERN, where we're in the Large Hadron Collider. Right, so kind of lots of different type of experiences. So anything really where you want to have a, a realistic uh, idea of sound, uh, it can be applied to that. And, and are there many companies like yours uh, producing 3D sound? Yeah, there are some. Um, yeah, there, there are quite a lot. Actually. It's a very competitive landscape, and there are some big players in there. So Google, Facebook, uh, Dolby, Microsoft—they've all. They've all acquired 3D audio engines, but they all use the virtual room model, whereas what we've, we're doing is something a bit different with our simulation technology. And so what we're kind of hoping to do is, so, so basically our little kind of um, uh, piece for investors is we're saying we're trying to break out of the virtual room and kind of educate the market in how to do it using sonic reality. And how much time did it take to, to actually develop the, the software? So, uh, the, 
the three kind of key components took us about uh, probably three years of working part-time um, and then about six months of full-time not even stopping to eat type development and one of the most kind of difficult bits of it there's a lot of complex physics involved in, in simulating sound propagation and um, we're both from uh, different kinds of backgrounds <laughs> it's like we have to learn higher level physics to get it right but uh, you know it was it's been a re really rewarding experience yeah i can imagine it is to be able to show it off and and, and it's an amazing experience when you're actually in there um, that's, yeah a huge um sense of, of achievement being able to, to sort of have it at market here um, where can our listeners find out more about Kinico? Uh, so you can uh, find us at uh, kinico.com and also we're on Twitter at kinicovr uh, that's probably the best place to find us and there's some links off of the website that take you to a Tumblr blog where we put all of our work and things like that Thanks very much for joining me, Gary. Enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. And uh, that's the end of the Tech Talk show today. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>